TV. Online. On second thought, I think I'll have the chicken. No, the fish. This is EPT Not Live. Hello, my babies, and welcome to EPT Not Live. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. James Hardigan is waiting in the wings for me to get through this intro. We've had a couple of weeks off. I gotta tell you, it was fucking awesome having a couple weeks off. (laughs) It's been so good having a few weeks off that whatever social media beefs I had, remember I was flying out uh, last time, like a couple weeks ago, and I was just in, in a fight with everyone on the internet. Yeah. I was in a fight with Kara Scott. I was in a fight with those two morons. You were fighting a number of battles that you couldn't possibly win. Exactly. And so I've pretty much forgotten about all of that. Excellent. So I'm like really happy. That's James Hardigan, by the way. Coming up on today's show, Shark Cage Heat number six has begun and ended. It's the Ivy Heat. And as a result, on today's show, we've got Phil Ivy, table mate, Vanessa Selbs. Yes. What can I say? She 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 flies the flag of, of the old poker stars. Remind me, James, I want to talk to her about Hamilton. Because I bought those real expensive tickets for my girlfriend for her birthday. Oh, this is the Broadway show. The Broadway show, and I went, and I want to talk to Vanessa Selbs about it later on the show. James is back. James went to Canada. He was there for the premiere of Kid Poker. I love playing two musical tracks at the same time. It really drives James crazy. Uh, I found some video from the uh, London School of Economics. I'm going to play for you guys later in the show. So we got that finally this week. Daniel Watters, there's two T's in his name, and that throws me off. I can't tell whether it's a typo on his Twitter account or whether he just has a a slightly different name than you'd expect. Daniel Wad, it's like if they spelled Eddie Vedder with with two E's and two you would be or two D's, and you'd be like, is it Vedder or Vedder? One D, what? It doesn't matter. He's the, anyway. Daniel Waters is this week's super fan. His specialist subject is The Great Escape, which is one of my all time favorite movies. Haven't seen it for a while. Uh, or maybe I have, James, because you did tell me to watch it. And one last thing, guys. One last thing. Today is our executive producer's Happy birthday. birthday. As it is Josh Baker, the editor here Happy on the EPT. Birthday. We want you to uh, have a... Have a, have a good day, Francine. Have a good day. <laughs> so yeah, Twitter. Uh, I, I've been. I'm in a good Twitter mood right now. Well, I mean, to be fair, most of the tweets that have come in in the last 14 days have been people bemoaning the fact that there wasn't a show last week. We left a void in people's lives. Which I still, even though it's love, I still find it annoying. Well, Gareth Taylor <laughs> says almost two weeks without EPT not live, and I'm getting withdrawal symptoms from not being mentioned. Hashtag help me, Gareth. You've just been helped. You've just been mentioned. Have a good day. Matt Richardson says, I've just started to listen to EPC Not Live and loved listening to Angry Stapes. Really missed him. Yeah, Angry Stapes, uh, I think, is going to become more of a thing. The problem is I have to be selective over what I'm allowed to publicly be angry about because there's a lot of, you know, I don't want to make other people angry. We'll find some more stuff for me to ang- be angry about. But I'm t- unfortunately, I'm in a good mood this week. Well, here's a question for you then, because Keith Woodward's tweet says, I sense there will be EPT Not Live content from Twitter, which might start with Stapes saying to Hartigan, does everything have to be a contest? I don't know what he's referring to. I don't know either. But we can... I, I don't know. Is it something that you're going to Canada and I wasn't? I don't know what that... Do- I will say, we'll get to the Canada stuff later. I was a little irritated that a few people tweeted at me saying that I was making a mistake by not being there in Canada, which was kind of annoying because it's not like I really chose to to not go to Canada. It was Thanksgiving. It's a really big holiday in the States. It's like... 
it's bigger. It's a family occasion. It's bigger as well. than Christmas. Yeah, it's the thing is I had to put my family first for once in my life. Uh, I really quick, James. I know you got some more tweets to get to, or maybe you don't, but. Uh, I had some tweets that I love this week, as opposed to having some beefs with some people on Twitter. I had some uh, ones I love. Can I ask what the equivalent is then? If we're not asking people to eat a giant bowl of shit, what are we asking them to eat that's more pleasant? Have a treat. Have, have a, a treat. Have a popsicle. Uh, I, I did not get this guy's name, unfortunately, but you can find it on my timeline if you want. Uh, the, this guy tweeted at me, don't scream, I need to know at your wife, a la Stapes, in public. People judge you. <laughs> I thought that was pretty fun. Did you have any idea the first time you did that, that it was going to become a thing that you'd be required to do not just once in every show, but potentially two or three times in I, every show? I didn't know it was going to become a thing, but I'm I'm glad that it did because like it's just a place where I get to turn my brain off. Where I have to be like, well, how am I going to handle this cliffhanger? It's like, nope, just go to the well. Just go to the I need to know well. Um, a guy tweeted at me who said... I'd have gone with, I haven't seen a shove this sick since the second season of House of Cards, spoiler alert, um, except that hadn't happened yet. Do you remember when we recorded that? Yes. And I wanted to use that line. Yes. And we have this like fairly strict rule here that there's no mentioning of things that hadn't happened yet, even though... It's a weird style with the commentary. I mean, everyone watching this, sorry, listening to this show knows... They know how we do it. We they know, know how we do it. All the TV shows are done in post-production. Months uh, later. We sometimes don't do the commentary until several months after the event, but because we have this aesthetic style in the shows which we call plausibly live the idea is that the commentary is meant to sound like it was recorded at the same time as the action was taking place therefore making references to anything in the news or in uh, the world of arts that's happened after that event is vetoed including the second season of house of cards which wasn't released until a couple of months after the pca had taken place correct and i think it was ben actually who's producing this who helped me come up with the alternate who was like how about game of thrones because I was annoyed. I was like, I was probably pouting when I got told I could. I was like, this rule's stupid. It's dumb. I could have seen House of Cards already. So anyway, yeah, that's, that is what I would have gone with, fella, on Twitter. And I also just really quick wanted to... Um, but by the way, just to... When you say that, that that rule is stupid, just in case anyone is is wondering, well, why do you need to do that? Different rules for Shark Cage too, by the way. Yeah, but also, you have to bear in mind, Joe and I get tweets from people... Not people who are going to be listening to this podcast who are fairly poker savvy, but people who just oh, tuned in randomly yeah. on Channel 4 in the UK or have come across the streams on YouTube. They think they're watching something that's live. They think they're watching it live. I wonder if those same people think that, like, Made in Chelsea is real and shit like that. Probably the same people, right? Potentially a slightly different audience, but probably of the same mindset. The same low IQ numbers. Um, yes, I wanted to say thank you, uh, even though he, I'm sure he doesn't listen to the show, to Greg Merson. Uh, Former world champion. Correct, world champion, World Series of Poker main event world champion. He uh, is just super supportive of me, like retweeted about my stand-up show I did in New York, and uh, it's just always been really kind about our broadcast, about the both of us. Uh, I thought that was really cool. This is also super cool, James. On Thanksgiving, I got a direct message from Jennifer Tilly saying that she and Phil Locke had been binge-watching Shark Cage and they love it and they've been like laughing out loud and like peeing their pants crying. Now I feel guilty for not inviting them back for season two. Well, whatever. We had some more people we had to get back in there. If we, if we end up doing a third season, and it's no secret that there won't be a third season of Shark Cage in 2016, but that doesn't mean it's not coming back in 2017 or 2018. If we do another series, especially if we get to go to America... 
would definitely have more Phil and Jen. Oh yeah, for sure. They're the best. And, uh, one last thing, social media wise. So last week, I think it was not last week, but the last episode we had Gail on, right? Gail Garcia Diaz. Yes. Gail Garcia Diaz. And I, in my list of questions, I wanted to ask her about this chick named Eni Helene, who she's like constantly retweeting. The two of them seem to have some sort of like weird woman crush on each other. So funny. I didn't get to ask that question, but there was an, there was a tabloid article published and like the, about the two of them and how they're like suspected of having some sort of relationship. I'm sure that's not actually suspected, but it's two hot chicks that you want to picture together. And I just thought it was pretty funny that the tabloids picked up on the same story that, uh, that I did that I did not get a chance to ask Gail about. James, were you uh, digging around in the, on the iTunes reviews? No, uh, I actually want iTunes reviews. Oh, we don't have I, any. This is basically me begging the audience to say nice things about us on iTunes. It's really weird Obviously, we want more people to discover this show, and people say such kind things on social media, and we really do appreciate all the support. However, we need more people to know about it, and as a consequence, I think three people have written reviews on iTunes so far, and ten people have given it a five-star rating. We really appreciate that. We need more of you. So we're trying to marshal the EPT Not Live fan base to go to iTunes and try and bring this podcast to the attention of more people. I know that we're also on Stitcher. I know you can download it directly from PokerStars.com, but 85% of the world's podcasts are consumed through iTunes. It's the most important platform, our most important distribution base. So it'd be really good if we could get in the notable and noteworthy section or get our ranking up slightly so that... We can get more downloads and get more people on board. So I had an I had a podcast on iTunes years ago. I've mentioned it constantly, Huff and Stave. So it was called Two Jacks in the Hole originally. And it is real if you get in that new and noteworthy section, people really do click on that stuff and listen to it. There are like really rabid podcast listeners out there who like to just see what's being recommended to them. And I will say there's reviews is a good way to do that, right? If a bunch of people re- leave reviews on the same day, that'll help uh, help boost us on iTunes. And also what helps is if you really want to help us, if you really want to be a super fan, if you delete every episode and then re-download them all, that counts as 10 new downloads. And back in our early days when we were trying to get traction for our show, we'd ask our fans to do that and it would it would sort of inflate our numbers. Uh, It sounds so desperate, but at the same time, I'm not above doing it. Well, I mean, look, it sounds desperate if it sounds like we're doing it for vanity reasons, but how about this? If our numbers aren't very good, they could decide they don't want to spend money on doing this show anymore. So if you like the show and you want to support the show, I would click a few buttons. Uh, James, now you were in, uh, you were in Toronto, but I went home for, uh, for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, Thanksgiving, I think, might actually be my favorite holiday because it doesn't have the same sort of like materialistic things attached to it that uh, that Christmas does. That's the day after, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. For the it's the day, but you can ignore it, right? Like because I don't include like Black Friday as part of my Thanksgiving celebration. Beyond belief, by the way, that Black Friday has become a thing everywhere. Including here. Although, I, I, do you know what? I actually think that a lot of major stores are going to start moving away from it because it's screwing with their Christmas numbers. Yeah, it's a, it's a little like, I don't like Black Friday for a bunch of reasons. And part of my thing now, too, is that like, I read an article about this. I feel like all the mocking of Black Friday, too, is like poor people shaming. Like watching videos of people fighting over a TV is like, it's, it's like schadenfreude in the worst possible way. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just... Yes, it's horrible that people are like that, but also like these pe- the people who are doing that aren't like rich people, you know what I mean? They're like people they're, they're they're poor people. So it's not it's like making fun of it's like that fucking Hunger Games, you know? And I don't really 
I, I can't really even the entertainment value of Black Friday. Anyway, I like Thanksgiving because it's not religious. Yep. And there's yes, there's the whole overeating aspect. However, I don't think that that's as disgusting. You know, we're celebrating the fact that we have a lot, and I don't think that's that bad of a thing. Please don't ignore the NFL triple header. Right, there is football, which I did absolutely ignore on Thanksgiving <laughs> Day, and I got a I got a ta- stern talking to from my fantasy uh, football team and uh, whatever running the league that I started someone that was on a bye week, which apparently is. I was like, I can't win anyway. They're like, but you're destroying the integrity. Doesn't matter. The commissioner of the league has given Joe Stapleton a verbal warning. I had an awesome Thanksgiving though, because first of all, my mom's a ridiculous cook, and my mom makes everything. She, it, we got. Cream broccoli, cauliflower, two different kinds of cranberry sauce, an 18-pound turkey, uh, mashed potatoes, stuffing, peas and carrots, fresh-baked bread, uh, three different kinds of pies. I, I, I could go on. If I'd known, I would have skipped the premiere and come to your house for Thanksgiving. Who was there? Was it the whole family? My, Just my... Well, no, my brother wasn't there. It was me, my mom, my dad. And then this was awesome. My mom invited two of her friends that my mom used to teach in her city school. So I had two black people at my Thanksgiving, which is amazing because now I get to hold over on all my liberal friends who think they're <laughs> fucking awesome, who think that they're so liberal. I bet you didn't have black people at your Thanksgiving and they're black women too at that. So I have like so much fucking liberal street cred for the next year. All you people tweeting and retweeting all this shit. Yeah, but you didn't have actual black people at your house on Thanksgiving like I did. So that's right. That's one for me right there. That's a point for Stapes. And my dad, my dad, which is amazing. My dad is casually racist, okay? (laughs) And these two black women found him hilarious. They found him hilarious. And I realized why. Because he didn't treat them any differently. He just right. acted the way he would normally act. And they were fine with it. And they Saying thought, all the crass shit he would normally yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. But he, like, I give him a lot of credit for that. Because he just is who he is. And look, there's like there's a bunch of people that have jumped down my throat for being like, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't. He doesn't treat people any differently. He just says dumb shit. Please tell me there was a law and order marathon at the end of the day. There was a... <laughs> I really couldn't, I I mean, I can't even really say this, but like, luckily there was no Law and Order this year, but what's weird is that typically we're watching Law and Order SVU, which is like the war, it's It's just the horror, it's like rape and molestation, and we're just sitting there watching like seven, eight hours of it. We didn't do that this year. Me and my dad, we went to the movies, we watched a couple movies at home, but my dad- What movies did you see? uh, I rented American Ultra, which was pretty bad. Uh, Vacation- which I liked. Really? Yeah, I liked it. I've, Oof, the I don't trailers, know. I just think, why is this even a thing? Yeah, I mean, it didn't have to be a thing, but I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was very watchable. Uh, then we went to the movies to go see The Night Before, which is like the Seth Rogen Christmas comedy, which I also thought was very funny. I was like laughing through most of it. Um, so yeah, so we, we, did, we did some movie watching. But the, I think the highlight for me is my dad was telling these stories. Now, I have a hard time talking to my dad. I don't know what it is, but the second I... We, we, Sons and fathers. It's a very complicated thing. I just I just don't... Yeah, I just don't want to talk to him. But when these these women were on Thanksgiving, he was telling them stories, and they were stories I hadn't heard before. Uh, and he told these stories about my great-grandfather, Rocco DiMercurio, who is this just... Rocco DiMercurio! I mean, he is... Like a, a character from a Mario Puzo book. Dude, you have no idea. Like, whatever... You guys at home, whatever you're picturing right now, Rocco DiMercurio to be like, that is exactly what he was like. Now, Rocco... Did he leave the gun and bring the cannoli? Dude, you're not far off here. (laughs) Rocco DiMercurio 
had a glass eye because he lost his eye in a bar fight, right? So he had a glass eye and it terrified my great grandmother, his wife. And she was, she was so scared of it. She couldn't go near it. So he used to take when he, at nighttime, he would take his glass eye out and leave it on top of his wallet. So she wouldn't steal from him. (laughs) And the reason why she would steal from him is because he used to beat the shit out of her on the regular. So she would steal from him. Now there's a semi happy ending to this story, James, in that. So, well, before I get to the semi-happy ending, the, another great anecdote about Rocco de Mercure is Rocco also had a girlfriend. And Rocco bought a Gumar. ring. Yeah, Gumar. And he bought a ring for his girlfriend. So my great-grandmother went over to his went over to her house and rang the doorbell. And when the woman answered the door, she said, I'll take that ring. And she's like, What are you doing here? You're Rocco's sister. And she said, Like hell I am, and beat the shit out of her and took the ring off her. <laughs> So then one day my great grandmother decided that she had had enough and she stabbed Rocco in the back with a butter knife. Oh my God. Butter knife's a blunt. Exactly. And the nurses at the hospital said it was the only time now they had to go to the hospital to get the knife taken out. It was the only time they'd ever seen a knife plunge through a guy's back and it did not tear his shirt. His flannel shirt just ended up getting stuffed into the wound. Oh God! Did not put a hole in the shirt, but did put a hole in his back, and I was just like, "Man, I wish I could talk to my dad more. Like, I wish yeah. I was more capable of speaking to my old man. I got to hear these stories like sort of third hand." And this is your genetic makeup we're talking about here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is what's really weird is so when she eventually divorced Rocco, she remarried a guy named Giuseppe Gambino. <laughs> central casting and that is who i that's who i'm named after giuseppe is joseph in italian so and that guy legit is connected to the mob my dad tells stories about when he was a kid one of his cousins was killed in a car bomb the fbi had his phone tapped i mean these guys but he was the nice one giuseppe was the really kind nice one who was actually connected and rocco i don't think was actually connected at all was just a punk Giuseppe would just push buttons and have someone else do the work for him, right? Yeah, he was like a soft-spoken, really sweet guy, like Giuseppe, whereas Rocco was like the dickhead who probably didn't have any connections whatsoever. Uh, one other great story that my dad told was, I guess one year on Black Friday, uh, my dad and my mom went to Walmart. And my mom's like, look, I'm going to go to the back of the store. Can you just hold my place in line? Uh, I'll just be right back because the lines were really long. And so... My mom disappears for a while and my dad's getting closer and closer to the front of the line and the line behind him is getting longer and longer. And he's like, I got to get out of here. And finally, my mom appears in the distance with her arms just full of stuff. And she's also kicking a TV. (laughs) She's kicking a TV down the aisle with her foot because she can't carry it. And she's trying to slide it. I mean, can you, that is Black Friday in a nutshell right there. And so my dad was like, no, he's like, she's like, but this TV is only $40. And he's like, I don't care. We don't need it. We have a TV in every room of the house. We're leaving. And they didn't buy any of this stuff. So good stories and Thanksgiving. Uh, That was my Thanksgiving. James, you spent your Thanksgiving in a country where it's not celebrated, but something else was celebrated instead. Event Recap. Event Recap. Yes, I was riding the coattails of people far more talented than me. 
and attending the premiere of the Daniel Negreanu documentary Kid Poker in Toronto. This is kind of part event recap and part TV recap. Because, of course, all of our Canadian listeners will have now seen this documentary on TV. It aired on TSN4 on Tuesday night. And I know it's being repeated on TSN over the next few days. There'll be more chances to see it. Why this music? Is this in the movie? This is the opening credit music. Nice. From Kid Poker, building the suspense. Um, the event went so well. Yeah. And I mean, I knew it would. Our, look, I, I got to ask you about this. Our boss, Francine. Happy birthday. She was nervous. She was, I mean... Incredibly she- nervous, because for two reasons, really. First of all, Daniel has not seen the film. Right. Now, he's been interviewed a ton. He's been asked questions. He's helped put us in touch with his brother. He's provided photographs and home video. But he didn't know how the film was going to turn out. And basically, it's your life on screen, right? And you have to put an enormous amount of trust in the people who are making the film. And he put that trust in Francine and in Gary Davis, our editor, the co-producer of the movie... And so Francine's nervous about what's Daniel going to make of this movie? What's his brother Mike going to make of the movie? Because he's a big part of the story as well. Well, it's good that they ditched the original title of Daniel Negreanu's Satan Incarnate. I feel like that <laughs> that was probably better to take more of like a, like a less making Daniel look like the devil. But the other reason why Francine was nervous is the movie is premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival Lightbox. And That's the one right next to the hotel, right? Right next to the Hyatt Regency, where yeah. we stayed a couple of times ago. And this was uh, a screening where there was an introduction from the filmmaker. So Francine was asked to give a speech to the audience before the movie. And after the movie, I was asked to host a Q&A with the documenter and oh, the documenter. before the movie. How did that go? Went really well. And both both the opening speech was perfect and the Q&A went brilliantly. Um, but understandably, if you're not used to speaking to a crowd, if you're not used to being a performing monkey like we are, sure. it can be quite nerve-wracking. No, I, th- I didn't realize that she had to go up there by herself before the movie because that is quite nerve-wracking. The good news is that no one expects that much of you. You know what I mean? Like, keep it short. No one expects that you're... Go- like, the movie is going to do the talking for you. Absolutely. Keep it short, keep it sweet. And that's exactly what Francine did. Um, The audience was made up of a variety of people. Daniel invited loads of friends and family, um, various members of the uh, Canadian media. Were there a lot of celebrities there? It seemed like a lot of people are tweeting about this with little blue check marks next to their name. Jerry D was there. Uh, Greg Zorn, remember him from Daniel's Summer Party? He played in the charity game at Daniel's Party. Uh, Various YouTube people with like millions of subscribers have been invited as well. Many of them, and this was the the greatest thing that I could see on behalf of uh, Francine Gary, and of course Bruce Baggles, the director of photography who was also in attendance, is that people who weren't poker fans, people who were kind of like, yeah, I've been invited to this thing and, you know, I might as well go. And they're like, they were blown away for two reasons. Number one, because they found the story engaging and they didn't expect to because they're not poker people. And secondly, I don't think anyone expected it to be as high end as this is. This is a film. This is shot, you know, by, by, by Bruce who always shoots 4K vistas. Plus, you know, you've got Gary who's got a lot of documentary experience. Francine put a lot of time and effort into it. It is the business. It looks amazing. Yeah. And I have to say right now, I haven't seen it yet and I've probably should. So I'd like to see it as soon as possible. I was kind of waiting to see it in like a setting like yours. Yeah. But I think at this point, I just need to watch it. You just need to watch it. What I hope is that 
we haven't now put it up on a pedestal because I think it's fair to say that the reaction from the screening, both on the night and in the hours and days that followed on social media, has been overwhelmingly positive. You know, some people said, yeah, maybe it was a bit too long. I didn't like this section. But generally, I mean, we're talking 90% positive feedback. Yeah. What I hope now is that people don't come to it expecting it to be something that it's not. It is still Daniel's story. It's still that documentary, but I hope they... You think pre- they, they might expect, like, car chases or, like, a like a good, hard effing? Uh, you know, yeah, expecting it to be kind of, like, real NC-17 type Yeah, none content. of that no, in there. They none of that in out. there. Uh, but, no, it's. I, I think the same can be said. I've been looking at, at Twitter this morning uh, after the Canadian TV screening last night, and, again, largely positive. And uh, the main question people are asking is... If they're not Canadian, where can I see it? When is it coming to the US? When is it coming to the UK? And what I've said to those people, and what Daniel has said to those people as well, is that understandably, broadcast deals are in the works, irons are in the fire, and as soon as there is something to announce about future screenings or future broadcasts, we'll let you know. So I think we should do, like, obviously, like a TV recap type of segment on the movie where we actually talk about the movie but I guess we should wait until most of the world gets to see it. I think that would be a fair thing to do. Maybe we should do a special on on the documentary and just do a whole episode devo- devoted to that maybe. I don't know. Just, if we can just, get Daniel on the show I think it's probably worth doing. Just sure. throwing it out there. Um, did you meet any of the people? Remember we gave tickets away? In- I we did. We gave away a pair of tickets uh, during EPT Live in Malta, yeah. and unfortunately, I didn't get to meet the winner of that competition. Did meet a few of our super fans who were in attendance. Glenn Weber was there with his wife Amanda. I saw that. Now, how did those people get in? Not that I don't think they should be there, but I didn't. I wasn't aware there was tickets were on sale in the VIP. Oh, you could store. just buy them. You oh, could great. buy tickets in the VIP store. Uh, Pedro Almeida was there. Uh, wanted to take a picture. Wanted to give me feedback on the podcast. Feels it's thirty minutes too short. Thanks, Pedro. <laughs> uh, and you know, obviously, a few other people who came over to say they were either fans of the podcast or fans of the tv shows and live streams so thank you to everyone who came to say hello um see it's largely we're talking about poker stars players and poker fans okay um but there were also other people who really said nice things and that that was really appreciated was my friend jen there she she texted me that night jen abansky was there as well did she talk during the whole movie Remember when she came to see my stand-up and I like I just she was just being obnoxiously loud in the back of the room, flirting I, with that guy. I did not hear her talking through the. That's movie. good, fantastic. She must have gone out to the lobby to flirt with one of the ushers. And then, of course, after the film was screened, there was the Q and A for the audience. Yeah, and that that was the main reason why I was there. I was moderating the Q and A. And the good thing is, I've never done one live before, but I've done so many radio phone-ins in my time. And you have to have enough answers prepared to run the entire session yourself in case, in case no, no one because then a it's really fucking embarrassing. But. You know that after a while, people will ask. And sure enough, after 10 minutes of questions to both Francine and Daniel, the first hand goes in the air. And as soon as the first Wait, person Wait, so you were asking question, questions to start. You yes. were just like, let me kick things off. Absolutely. And you know, I've got an... I, I know what I want to ask and I could keep it going for half an hour but yeah. I don't want to do that I want the fans I want the people in the audience to run so it. after 10 minutes of you asking questions hands start going up and once one person asks a question once yeah. they've seen that first person take the microphone and stand up then everyone else's inhibitions fly away and they're happy to ask fantastic questions as that's well. awesome great so you didn't have to you didn't have to carry the whole well, thing understandably most of the questions are going to be for Daniel and they're not necessarily related to the movie people want to ask him about oh, other Christ. stuff as was, well did anyone ask him anything like that was just not the time or no, not at all okay. not at all and even if they had Daniel's are very good at answering those questions sure. and then of course I would throw in a few questions as well just to keep Francine in the loop and try and keep
keep it, I guess, on point. This is meant to be a celebration of Daniel's life, and it's meant to be a celebration what's of the, the film. most What's the most amount of money you ever won playing poker? Luckily, what's the, what's the biggest hand you've ever played? Did you ever have a royal flush? Luckily, no one asked that question. The irony is the questions were better than they would be if you had a room full of critics because I've done junkets and I've done press conferences. Oh, yeah. And there's always some random guy representing some, you know, tin pot website in Germany. What's your favorite color of underwear? And it's like, really? That's your one question that you're going to ask this global celebrity? Do you know at these things? And I, I want to ask you a question about your past experience of these types of screenings. I've been in a few of these, and people sometimes will ask rude questions, will like be critical of the film. That's not really the place for that, is it? Especially not in this type of no, setting. Well, like the, the toughest question that was asked, and I think it's a legitimate question. Yeah. Um, and it may even have been Jerry D who asked this question was to Daniel, you know, Daniel talked in the film about quitting high school to then pretty much play poker full time. Yeah. Says, Daniel, if you had a 16 or a 17 year old son and they wanted to quit high school to play poker, would you be okay with that? And I thought that's a perfectly legitimate question. I could question. totally see Daniel saying, yeah, I think yes he, to that question. Uh, in a roundabout way, that's pretty much what he Did said. He if, say if, yes, if you have yeah. a goal, if you have a dream, you should follow your calling and you should follow that dream. I feel like I feel like Daniel's like a, a good example of following dreams, but also an example of like, Daniel's like an aberration. And I don't think, I don't think anyone can achieve their dreams. I think that some people can. And it's like dangerous to be like, if I can do it, anyone can. No, some of you can't. Some of you really can't. Uh, the credit, by the way, for all of this, for the actual event, has to go to Jordan Carey, our man in Toronto. I always think Jordan's like the guy that, you know when James Bond goes to like any random city and there's always like, you know, Saunders, head of section V, Vienna. Jordan is basically head of section T, Toronto. He's, He's awesome. our man in Toronto. Yeah, he just gets it done. And he... Organizing events, and bear in mind, this is the guy who was behind Daniel's summer party at Real Sports in Toronto over the summer. He did a great job organizing this as well. There was a free bar. There was a pop. There was popcorn for everyone. Uh, there was a photographer there, so you could have your picture taken with Daniel on the red carpet. The whole experience made it a really great night. Yeah, and I mean, and just even the venue itself. I mean, that is like a like a pretty honorable place to have your movie premiere. I mean, that's a really cool theater. There's been it, lots of iconic things done it there. It looked and sounded great on the big screen. Uh, comfy seats. The team at the TIFF Lightbox uh, did a great job with the sound setup and the Q&A afterwards because they're used to doing this. They run the Toronto International Film Festival, for heaven's sake. They know what they're doing. On the subject of the Q&A... Um, yeah, I asked you to give me some tape. Did I've you got give you some, some tape? Clips. I've got you some clips. What was great is that the film finishes, the credits roll, the house lights come on, and that's our cue to go on stage. So I welcome Daniel and uh, Francine to the stage. This means, and obviously it's quite tough, because Daniel is still kind of formulating his thoughts, and he's still quite emotional. And right, because he's just seen it for the first time. So absolutely. it's not even like, like Francine and Gary, obviously, you've seen it 50, 60 times, because they made the damn thing. Wow, yeah, that's a good point. So the great thing is you can get an instant reaction from Daniel. And I think it's fair to say you can hear in his voice how emotional he was after watching this film. Francine, I want to start with how asking how nervous you were knowing tonight that Daniel had not seen this film. I've just been a wreck all day. I think I've been a wreck all week, actually. No, I was really super, super nervous and excited too. Um, yeah, I couldn't really see you. I think maybe that was quite good. I couldn't really see you. You would have seen some tears and some crying. But we also had laughter as well. A little bit of that, too. <laughs> but overall, how was the experience of seeing your life on screen? Well, first of all, I want to say, Francine, that was like, I lived my life, and that felt better than my own life. That <laughs> 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 was really, it put it into perspective, That's and a lot awesome. of things that I sort of took for granted, which was family, you put into this film, and it really kind of, 
spoke to me in a way that I didn't expect. So thank you. Uh, it, was, it was, the pleasure is all mine, honestly. Thank you so much for letting us in. Were there any surprises for you, Daniel? Did it sort of delve deeper than you thought it was going to? Yeah, I would say that the thing that surprised me most is like, you know, like I said, I said, I lived my life and I knew family was important, but watching that, like remembering, you know, having the memories sort of flash in front of you like that, seeing my dad, seeing my mother and just, you know, really blessed that I had an amazing family, extended family and um, that being such a big part of who I became today and the kind of man that I've been and just watching myself say it and just seeing my parents, it was, um, yeah, it was just beautiful to see. Daniel is such a pro, yeah, and he has perfected the art of the soundbite. But what you heard there at the end was genuine, raw emotion, which you don't often see. Yeah, no, he's usually knows exactly what to say, and just yeah, just actual feeling coming. Out. I I texted him because I was um, I. I I was really sad I couldn't be there. I mean, I, look, I'm glad that he brought up family because family is the reason why I couldn't be there, right? I don't get to see my parents very often. They're getting old. And I just was like, you know what? I can't miss a holiday with them. I really wanted to go to this. But I texted him and he said the same thing. He said that he was in tears for most of the movie. He said there was a good portion of it that he was crying through, which is good because I don't think, you know, you cry if you hate it. Probably not. So at least one person likes the movie and that's that's the important one. And then it seems like, Lots of other people do, too. Got a couple of mildly amusing segments to oh, play. Oh, cool. Here's the first. This summer, while this film was in post-production, whilst Francine and Gary are probably spending 16 hours a day editing it, you were having a deep run in the World Series of Poker main event. Francine, how badly were you sweating that? And how much did you want Daniel not to make that final <laughs> table? Daniel, because I'm, it would screw with your documentary? I'm so sorry, but I didn't want you to make the final table. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, no. I was so torn. And actually, I desperately didn't want you to make it, but I desperately did well, want you to welcome, make it. Well, you're welcome, I guess. So thank you. For, I know that you did that for me. So yeah, thank right. you. Thank you. I uh, I was texting with Francine during that also. I was in the States while that was happening. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to have to go to Vegas, aren't we? <laughs> if he makes the final <laughs> table. I was like looking up flights and stuff. Uh, and finally, uh, this is just um, my unsubtle way of plugging this podcast in the form of a question to Francine. Bear in mind that the average documentary maker is going to dedicate themselves to the film. Um, they're going to spend between six months and six years on any given subject. But in addition to making this film, you have a full-time job. I mentioned at the start, you're the executive producer of the Pokestars TV shows. You also get dragged in from time to time to do voiceover work for the podcast, EPC Not Live. Subscribe now on iTunes. Ah. Um, <laughs> what a shill. Absolutely. You've got to get the shill in. Nice job with the shill. We, I think we got one more viewer, one more listener. Yes. From that. Actually, one's probably enough to justify that. Did you uh, did you one up our boss whose birthday it is today? By the way, Happy birthday, have a good day. Anna, are, are you are you? <laughs> did you fly first class while she? Not first class, business class. There is a difference, but yeah, we were meant to is be there, flying. I'm sorry. Is there anything above what you flew? Yes. On, oh, there is. Okay. Yes. Uh, we were flying... How many sections they got on that damn plane? British Airways has four tiers. Really? They have economy, which they call world traveler. They have premium... If you're in economy, you will cry four tiers. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, We were meant to be in tier two, which is world traveler plus, aka premium economy. So like what I fly on Virgin is where y'all were supposed to be. Yes, but we... I, at the gate, got upgraded to club world which is business class now when you say i got upgraded like i hear this all the time it's never happened in my life and i fucking fly all the time well 
if there is space, they always look at who's got status. And the good news is because I've done so many flights on BA this year, I'm really close to silver, which is like really hard to get on BA because most really people are either to... blue or bronze. Silver membership, like is a silver the highest? club. No, gold is the highest, which is near on impossible unless you're flying first class halfway around the world twice a week. Okay. Uh, but for silver, you get all the perks of like lounge access, fast track, and all that kind of gubbins. Um, but obviously, people often on the day, yeah. they want to upgrade from economy to premium economy because it might not cost them that much. So if they need to free up some seats in premium economy, they decide to give upgrades to some of their like loyalty members. And it's they're going to do it gold, silver, then bronze. I mean, I've, this is such an elusive thing for me. I I I don't think Virgin does that. I've they do. It's it's happened to me on Virgin I've as well. I've been gold for like three years. I've never gotten upgraded. They barely even come around with a second glass of champagne before <laughs> the flight starts. And bizarrely, it happened to me on both legs of this trip. So you go sit up in like nearly first class while the directors and now, editors and makers of the film who are the reason why you're on this flight are sitting behind you like having to scrape together an extra bag of peanuts. And let's not forget, this is my boss as well. I'm leaving <laughs> so, behind. And I did feel bad about it, but not, not bad enough bad. to offer her. I'm enough of a selfish shit to not feel so bad that I'm going to give up the seat or refuse the upgrade. When you said that, Giles just nodded so hard <laughs> in the other room. He was like, mm, amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> uh, on the way back, it was just me and Gary. So I didn't feel so bad bad sorry gary uh taking the upgrade especially as i was so knackered and i did want to have the opportunity to lie down flat well i mean gary is not your boss so that is true uh but gary and i had a great afternoon after the premiere i went we went to the cinema went to see creed i'm hearing great things about creed including your tweet this movie is better than it has any right to be yeah and technically it's so well made like the fight scenes especially the first fight which is all done in a single take are just intensely brilliant. Really? Yeah. Dude, I just can't... Look, I saw Southpaw earlier this year. Like, I just don't get boxing movies. Like, I think... I feel like the number of boxing movies that have been made to actual boxers ratio has to be close to -to one-to-one. Like, (laughs) there are so few actual boxers in the world, yet every (laughs) year there's like four boxing movies. What the fuck is happening? There is... It is the most overrepresented profession in in cinema i think you've got to give a pass to the rocky franchise and this is part of that franchise and no i look i thoroughly enjoyed it is it ridden with cliches yes are there moments that are just ridiculously over the top yes do you care no because it's just a really fun ride so Michael B. Jordan's actually like in a hit movie for once. He's finally, he's finally made a good movie. Because he's been oh, getting, getting. That's not fair. Chronicle was. I'm a not good saying movie. they're not good movies. They just sure. none of them have made any noise at all, sure. except for Fruit, Fruitvale Station, which I mean, made no money. But let's not forget, he was also in two of the best and most successful TV shows of all time. When he was a kid, he was in The Wire. Yeah. And as a young man, he was in Friday Night Lights. Uh, but f- as far as a movie career is concerned, he has been struggling. But yeah, this is gonna. Definitely tip him over the edge, and I imagine there will be a Creed 2 in the next two to three years. TV recap. Two shows to talk about, because it's been two weeks since we last met, uh, which means we've got two halves of one heat to discuss. Right. So, no disrespect to our guest, Vanessa Selbs, coming up, but the the big name here is Phil Ivey playing on Shark Cage. 100%. Uh, he was... 
not the easiest get. That's what I was. That, so I want to know all the behind the scenes stuff about Phil Ivy. First of all, how how hard was he to get? Well, Phil doesn't like to do anything that Phil doesn't want to do. And understandably, we're talking about a free roll here with a million dollar prize pool. But Phil wanted to know all the ins and outs, how much time he'd be required. And bear in mind that because of the type of show that Shark Cage is, there's all the interviews and all of the post-match interviews right. as well. All the gubbins that goes Did around it. Did you under or over or exactly sell how much interviews were going to happen when you were talking to Undersold him? it massively. Really? You were like, just get him in the door and then we'll make him do long interviews? We didn't do massively long interviews. We did the amount that was required to get Phil in through the door and spend enough time to give us the material we needed to make this show. Do we have any footage of him bitching and moaning about not wanting to be in the interview? No, to be fair, he was fine with it because he knew what he kind of knew what he was getting in for. I mean, Daniel had spoken to him and said, Phil, you should do this. Um, the funniest story is I think it was in either in Australia or Macau. Gary Gates, who used to be the guy who wrangled all the super high rollers, Gary's now taking a step up and he's going to be running our live events in North America uh, in the future. Ooh, live events in North America. I like the sound of that. Uh, but Gary was tasked with having a chat with Phil about the format. And obviously Gary's talking him through it. And Phil l legitimately asked this question. So is there a pool of water? Does the cage actually get lowered into a pool of water? That's awesome. It's like, no, Phil, there is no actual real sharks. There is no water. And this was a legit question that Phil had to compute in his brain before he agreed to do this show. Here's a legit question I have. Obviously, if you've seen the shows, if you haven't, like, tune out now, because we're going to talk about stuff that happened in the shows. Phil does not go into the cage. No. And he didn't even come close to going. There were no situations I don't even think where he was about. I think he pulled off a successful bluff at one point. There was one, yeah. I can't... Do you think he actually would have gone and done it? Yes. You do? Yeah. I can't picture it. Same as I couldn't picture Antonio, and I feel like both of them in a couple situations made calls or moves specifically to avoid going to the cage. I will give you... Probably not a direct quote because I can't remember it word for word, but it was something along these lines. When Phil then came backstage after doing all the pre-game interviews, and I would normally do a briefing with all the players where we just run through all of the rules because there's little um, little details in Shark Cage that people might not be familiar with, and we don't want anyone to look like an idiot. We want them to know how the shot clock works. We want them to know how they play the value and bluff cards. So I said, Phil, do you want to sit down and go through it? And he goes... I ain't got time for that. I got emails to send. <laughs> I was like, well, I just want to make sure. He goes, yeah, yeah, I get it. If I bluff and it goes bad, I go in a cage. He, he under, so he knew Sounds the risks. Sounds like he got it. Yeah. He knew the risks. All right. So uh, we, we think he would have gone and done it. I, I ran into Phil backstage very briefly, and I prefer not to run into Phil because I'm just, I've interacted with Phil a bunch over the years. I've been out with him. Everyone's heard the story, so I don't have to go over them. But I'm afraid that if I interact with him, that he's not going to remember me. And so I'd rather just avoid him and keep that perfect image of us hanging out together alive in my mind and not have to go through the whole process of him not knowing who I am. <laughs> I did run into him and he did remember me, only he was incredibly offended that he thought he was going to be playing in the same heat as me. He was like, what are you doing here? Why are you playing in this? And I was like, don't worry, I'm not playing. I'm just doing commentary. He was like... He just thought he was like on some second rate show with me. I was like, all they could, like him and me was all they could get. 
We had a better calibre of celebrity than Joe Stapleton. We had, of Goonies and Lord of the Rings fame, Mr. Sean Astin, who I felt a little bit sorry for because Sean clearly wanted the table to be a lot more lively. Yeah. He wanted there to be a lot more banter. But with Ivy literally crushing every soul in sight, there was no room for banter. Yeah, and you know, again, there's no room for banter because it's Ivy, right? And then also... Chirping chips is a thing for a reason. So if you have someone else at the table who's who's doing well, they're more talkative. And since no one was doing well at all, it was really like someone like Vanessa, for example. Vanessa, look, I don't think she'd get mad at me for saying this, but her mood tends to fluctuate based on how well she's doing at poker, how chatty she is or how much laugh. As is most people, I think with Vanessa, it's amplified a little bit. But like when you're handcuffed and you're not getting the things done that you want to do poker wise. Yeah, it's tough to have a conversation. And Sean, what I really admired about him actually was that he was very aware of his poker shortcomings and didn't mind talking about it. And I far prefer that to folks who come on the show, Jeremy Roenick, and say that they're really good at poker when they clearly aren't very good at poker. Yeah. Um, in terms of the actual table chat, I mean, Sam makes the point that Shark Cage was less chatty, but more poker. And what you did see was obviously Ivy doing his thing. And I hope people enjoyed that. I also think it's good that Every heat has its own identity. Right. And obviously we had that amazing atmosphere in the Antonio Esfandiari heat. And then things get serious when the bosses come to play. People like Ivy, uh, people like Vanessa. It didn't help that Artem Litvinov, who's a huge character, got kind of crippled early doors and was out pretty early on as well. So wasn't really able to do his thing. Yeah. And I think also he was, I think he was slightly intimidated by Ivy also. I think that Arm Litvinov, who's typically sort of like, fucking around at the table a little bit was doing it less because Phil was there. And I just, you know, and then we had the, the qualifier was rushing this time too, right? I liked him. What was it about him? The dolls? The dolls. Yeah. His little, little uh, Bushka dolls or whatever they're called. Yeah. It should be pointed out by the way, that Andre, the qualifier was the only qualifier in the entirety of this season yeah. who earned himself That's what I was thinking. Yeah. a 2k bluff bonus for sending someone to the cage. In this case, it was Artem Litvinov who went behind bars. Um, so sadly, the qualifiers went 0 for 6 in terms of bagging seats in the final, and sadly, only one of them made any money, and I really I didn't know whether we'd get a qualifier into the final this time around like we did in season 1, but I really hoped that more than one would make some money. It's nice to have one qualifier in the final, I think. If we ended up at a, at a, with a final full of qualifiers, I think it'd be like just ratings poison. But Instead, we've ended up with a final full of bosses because we've got Daniel Negreanu, yeah. Phil Ivey, Antonio Esfandiari, Maria Ho, Jennifer Shahadi, and Andrea Kari. It's a pretty sick lineup. When it's you a think pretty about sick it. lineup, and also like just demographics wise, it's like really good for us. There's like a couple of women and in terms of like points of the compass as well. It, that's it, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, just because like there's 300 million po- people, there's 300 million people in Brazil, uh, and if some of them started watching poker, that would be fine with me. You got Daniel and Phil. I mean, it really just hits everything except for that. Like you know, the like any average Joe can win a million dollars here. Who cares? Because we, we're, 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 we're ticking a lot of boxes. 
So once again, as with all the heats this season, the two final table shows, uh, the final table rather, will be played out over two shows, which will air on TV over the next two weeks. And of course, the following day, those shows are uploaded to youtube.com slash pokerstars. But yeah, someone who wasn't part of this week's show was Vanessa. She was the subject of the cliffhanger, of course, at the end of show 11. But of course, when that cliffhanger was resolved, that was the end of Miss Selbst. So she did, she was in both episodes just very briefly yeah. in the second one. Sort of like of cameo. Yeah, kind of like uh, what's Kate Mara in uh, House of Cards yeah. season two. It's kind of in the credits to be and Vanessa Selbst as the sixth place finisher. Exactly. So uh, let's talk to Vanessa right now. Hello. Can you hear me? We can hear you perfectly. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. Oh, it's no one told me Joe is going to be on the call too. I love the fact they always forget that information. Wow. Jason Mercier said that as well. Maybe it's, they don't tell us because they don't want us to not come. Yeah, they don't want you to say no. Yeah. So, Vanessa, I assume because uh, you live in the United States of America and the show is not on TV there and it's a little harder to get, I, I assume you haven't seen your Shark Cage episodes yet. That's correct. I have not seen my Shark Cage episodes. But I imagine, being Vanessa Selps, you've got a pretty good memory of how that heat went down and some of the key hands that were played. Um, I remember a couple of the hands that went down, uh, the, the notable ones. Like I think the one I played in the very beginning of the heat and the one I played to bust out. Honestly, I don't think I got that many hands. Like, I don't remember playing a lot of hands. I think I was pretty card dead most of the time. Well, let's talk about that hand you're referring to, the one you played <laughs> at the beginning, where you had sevens and you flopped a set. And by yeah. the time it gets to the river and Phil bets on you, with the cage dynamic in play, yes, I know there's a straight out there. Yes, I know that in, it, in a standard game, it might be an easier laydown. But with the cage dynamic, that's a really hard hand to fold. Um... I didn't think it was a very tough fold. I don't think I took very long to make it. I, I don't. I don't really remember, but I, I remember just doing it pretty quickly, just kind of thinking about it and then letting it go. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, I, I raised, I think, an early position, and then I had, I, you know, Artem called out of the small blind, and Ar Artem is kind of like a crazy, not not like super sticky or whatever, but um, when Phil leads, I think he led into me. It's like, yeah, he did. Um, with he's not doing that with just nothing it's usually going to be either a draw or kind of a made hand and he just keeps firing these like massive bet like he's got you know he's firing into three people so it's not just nothing um and then i call with artem behind me on a low board like i don't think he puts me on a pure float i mean it's usually going to be either an over pair or a set or a flush draw so when the flush comes anyway and he keeps firing I mean, I definitely have to call the turn because, like, he can keep firing with a lot of, like, if he has a straight draw, he wants to get me off of an overpair without a club or something. He's definitely going to keep firing. But once I call on the turn, I just think, like, the whole hand has played out pretty strong from my end. I have all the flushes in my range, all the sets. Um, and it's just going to be, like, a pretty tough... And plus, I'm not known for making huge laydowns. So, like, or, or, like, I'm, I'm known as pretty sticky. So even if, like, the bottom of my range is, like queens with a club or something like that i would say um like i'm um, or jacks with a club like i'm often gonna lay down like nines and eights if they don't have a club i'll lay them down a bunch on the turn so uh you know my range is like fairly strong and the fact that he's still firing into me i just think you know especially phil like phil is someone who likes to make moves like and he likes to bet big on bluffs when people are weak but i don't and like when ranges are weak um and that's something that you'll see like whenever he bluffs it's like a spot where uh 
where there's like it's going to be a really tough call for someone to make but I just don't I mean I've seen Phil play a lot on TV I haven't played with him a ton but I've, I've you know I've obviously seen a lot of the old stuff like less newer stuff but still I kind of I think I have an understanding of how he thinks I've played with him a bunch on super high rollers and I just haven't seen much of him like blasting away in spots where like people are likely to be pretty strong and so in my opinion like I, I don't even know I mean it wasn't even about the straight getting there uh, honestly if he would have bet on the river on a blank I probably would have folded anyway well that's uh, that I as usual Vanessa I completely agree with all of your analysis I will mm-hmm. say that James and I because we've watched every single shark cage heat this season and a few of them the players have been playing specifically to get to the river and to try to pe- put people in the cage and that's all we've yeah. seen in all the previous heats so the fact that you fold you did fold very quickly at least in our coverage as well and I remember being again you you break it down very simply and, and you know it's a it's an easy fold for you in that situation because of all that information but from our perspective and i think for the perspective of a lot of the viewers in a season where we've seen so many river bluffs the fact that you were able to come to that determination so easily i thought was really right. impressive and we've seen well, so many hero yeah. fo- uh, hero calls as well with hands a lot worse oh yeah than, than a right. set well, totally. Well, th- I mean, thank you for saying it's a great fold. But the thing is, I mean, you have to remember that the fact that I have a set becomes irrelevant once he's betting the size sure. he's betting and the way that he's betting it. I mean, he's not um, – I don't think – like, I think he was just betting really big the whole way. Like, he bet really big on the river, um, which um, my friend told me that he had a straight. And I was like, that is not a good bet with that hand. Like, the way that he bet, I actually thought he had a very big flush um, because I'm not going to call with worse hands um, the it- way that he bet. It's interesting you pick up on that, though, Vanessa, because like when we were recording the commentary and Joe's noting that Phil's doing stuff which other players don't do, like he's frequently leading uh, into the aggressor, the the proverbial donk bet. But when Phil Ivey does it, you feel, I can't call this a donk bet. (laughs) It's Phil Ivey. (laughs) But he does do stuff that's not, for want of a better word, conventional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, he does. And he puts you in tough spots because he's not afraid to fire, fire off you know, multiple times for sure. Well, let's quickly try and analyze that other hand then that you're referring to, which I assume is the hand against Faraz, which ultimately led, spoiler alert, to your exit from the Shark mm-hmm. Cage Heat. This formed the cliffhanger between the two shows, between episodes 11 and 12. And it was a case of, you know, Faraz has bet enough on the river to put Vanessa all in. Is she going to call? And sadly, as we discovered at the start of episode 12, you did call yeah. and were the first player out. Yeah, my river call is not good, but I think my decision in the hand really came down to the turn play. Um, so I raised an early position with ace nine, and Faraz called on the button, and the flop came, uh, I want to say king jack ten, and I c bet, and he called. And at this point, I'm like pretty much done with the hand because I'm, you know, when I c bet, I'm hoping to get him off of like if I don't know how wide he's flatting me, lower suited connectors, smaller pairs. And then the ace comes, and I was still done with the hand. I was just like, you know, there's a lot of queens in Faraz's range, king, queen, uh, queen, jack suited, king, queen suited, whatever, you know. Um, and a lot of his range that doesn't have a queen in it still beats me. Ace, 10, jack, 10, stuff like that, whatever. King, jack. A, lo- I mean, a ton of stuff beats me. But I checked, and then it was just one of those physical library things where he bet in a certain way, in a certain size, that I was just sure he was bluffing. Like, I was really, like, I don't know if they even... If they got this on camera, I mean, I'd be interested to see like how I looked because I was ready to pitch my hand. Like it was, it was like done in my mind. And then the way that he bet and the size that he bet, I was just sure that he didn't want me to call. You certainly look perplexed. Well, and also didn't did maybe the shark cage because what I kind of 
and my reads on you are probably not very good, Vanessa, and I've got more questions about that in a minute. However, I thought that maybe you thought if you got if you called and you were wrong and you got sent to the cage, then you were going to get blinded out while you were in there anyway. Yeah, I definitely that that came into my mind in the river, but I didn't think about it on the turn, and that was like uh, my undoing. But I just want to go back to the turn play because I think that the turn play is really interesting. Like I hadn't really had a plan for how I was going to continue if I thought it was a bluff because I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind that that might happen. And then when he bet the way that he did, you know, you've got that shot clock, and I'm like, okay, I have to think in my mind. Okay, I'm like sure he's bluffing. I've never been more sure. Okay, so then I'm still worried about calling because he's got so many hands in his range that beat me still that he might bluff with, like, yeah. in my mind, I never thought he would bluff with aces up. I think it's a really bad bluff in his spot with that hand, but um, I thought he would bluff with, like, bottom two or something to get me off of, like, a better two pair, and I think I should have just gone all in because it would have been not very much more, but I think I would have actually folded out some better hands, um, and I didn't, it didn't really occur to me, plus then with the, shark, with the river dynamic, um, you know, I'm risking so much by folding and losing an orbit of chips, which I didn't think about either. So the play on the turn was definitely just to go all in. Um, once it gets to the river and, uh, you know, the, the hands that I'm beating are like Jack nine suited, uh, like Jack eight suited, 10, nine suited, uh, stuff like that. And I thought that that was going to be one of the hands he showed up with for sure. But there's still something I mean, to protect the pot. There's such a big pot already. He can't call a raise. I should just go all in. And then on the river 10, I'm losing to even fewer hands, like 10-9 suited now. I'm not beating. But at the same time, um, he's not going to shove that. So I'm still in my mind thinking, you know, he's got like that jack-9 suited or his fras. Like, I don't know how, how wide he's flatting me. Or not, sorry, 9-8 suited was also a big part of what I beat. Um, but then I was thinking... You know, if he's got like a suited king, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Faraz can flat and I don't, I don't know kind of how frisky he's getting, but when you're just so sure that someone's bluffing in your mind, you're just like, I'm going to call. But on the river, um, it, it's just like, he's giving me such a good price and with the shark cage dynamics in play, I just think I have to make that lay down. I mean, that was a poor play on my part because it's just like, he's just not bluffing like at that point. Like, you can put the shark cage dynamics in play, but then the flip, you know, and say that he wants to send me to the cage. But the flip side of that is he knows that because I, if I call, I lose and I go to the cage. Like it's just so unlikely I'm going to fold with those odds plus the shark cage that I just think his bluff frequency there is like less than 10%. And unfortunately, like those bluff, you know, I did put some hands in his range that he was bluffing with that beat that now beat me like Jack 10 would be the principal one, either Jack 10 or King 10. I never thought he would bluff with Ace 10. But um, there's still some hands that I thought he would be bluffing with that turned into full houses. So I just need to fold the river. I mean, simple as that. I mean, there are harder things to do than to put Faraz Chaka on a big bluff. I mean, that is you're you're going to be right so much of the time, regardless of what's happening you in know, the hand. Yeah, but that, I think that's that, that's absolutely true. But I think that the, the reverse is like a lot of very aggressive players make a lot of money because they everyone assumes they're always bluffing. Um, I like Vanessa Selfs. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I didn't, it, you know, like I said, I was planning on check folding, but I mean, I'm not going to say exactly what it was, but it was just, it just smelled funny to me. And I, and I changed the course of my decision making. And I really, um, unfortunately, like the shop, clock this is the second time now like i guess this means i just have to act faster in my regular life because <laughs> this is the second season in a row that i feel like i made a pretty big mistake to cause my eventual demise based on like not thinking it through quickly enough due to the shark case i wish i had something like a shot clock in my life to blame all my bad decisions on <laughs> yeah exactly so that yeah i meant shot clock you got it but yeah exactly um your bad decisions aren't ones that are 
caused by the pressure of time. Usually. Not typically, usually you have no. too much time. Yeah, well, <laughs> they say every cloud has a silver lining. Vanessa, for being the first person out, you did get the special gift, the consolation prize from Andre the Qualifier of his uh, Russian doll. And yeah, that's true. I was wondering if that Russian doll was going to end up in the same place as your PLO trophy from EPT Prague a couple of seasons ago, and Joe Stapleton <laughs> will be lumbered with it. You know, I have that trophy on my kitchen island in Jersey City. It's like sitting in the middle of my kitchen. It's like the first thing That's people awesome. see when they walk in. Do you get questions in. about it? Uh, occasionally I do, but like my roommate's a, a, a like a decent poker player. When his friends come over who play that. I just tell him it's mine. Just tell him I want it. Yeah, nice. No, that's that's awesome. Didn't you know when I gave you that trophy though, it was because you had never won anything like that. But haven't you since won an award? Uh I don't I don't think so. Did I get oh, an award for for hosting your charity event? <laughs> no, I thought you won like a, a like a EPT award or something like that. Um maybe I'm making it up. Maybe in my head you're a winner. We were nominated in several categories and lost all of them in the last couple of years. So no big deal. Not a sore spot. I, so, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about uh about the analysis you're doing. I've been seeing on your Twitter that you've been Twitch streaming old EPT episodes. Is what is the job we've done not good enough? What are you doing on there? I'm just doing what you you guys have inspired me, but also given me room to improve on it. So I'm just doing your job. I love that. Better. She said first the compliment, followed by the poof. Are you so what? How does it work? Are you like pausing um, it and then talking about it so you have more time? Or yeah, in all seriousness, uh, I could obviously never, uh, I can never do the job that you guys do. But um, what I am doing is uh, I'm, you guys are edited out, and I'm basically just providing a much more strategic focus. Sure. So. Um, you know, just for people that want a little bit of deeper insight into the hands. And yeah, I can pause it when an interesting spot comes up. And, uh, you know, the, the, it's called tournamentality. So it's, huh. it's, I'm going to be twitching semi-regularly. I'm going to hopefully have guests on. We're going to do kind of some more lighthearted shows and then some more like really deep strategic analysis and just kind of a mix of all of that. I don't mind the deep strategic analysis. Stay away from the lighthearted shit. That's that's where I that's where I that's the only thing I got, Vanessa. If you start doing that better than me, I'm out of a job completely. If you start throwing in catchphrases, if you start singing when there's a chop pot, if you do domination nation, if you do danger zone, then then you basically are going to get a letter from the lawyers. Right. No, I don't think you're in danger of any of that. Mostly what I was thinking is just like getting wasted and, and yelling at people for making donkey plays. That's that so was... fun. Like me and my roommate do that. And then obviously I have to come in here and like just actually, you know, be a professional. Vanessa, did you go see Hamilton? Did you see the show Hamilton? I did. I just want to real quick say the thing about oh, the, sure. the reason this was inspired. The, the, the podcast was actually inspired because, well, I've been thinking about it anyway, but or not the podcast, the Twitch. I'm sorry. It was inspired because um, I was sitting on my, you know, watching the World Series Maine like a couple years ago and just like drinking and just yelling at people for making dumb plays and then also getting riled up when someone made a good play. And, you know, Miranda's turn, my wife just said to me like, it would be really cool. Like a lot of people would love to just be a fly on the wall while you're sitting here watching this and like talking to yourself, but also the TV. And so that was kind of the, the basis of it, like the idea behind it. And I so want to kind of. I want to be a fly on the couch. I want to come over and get shit faced with you and watch uh, and watch old episodes and 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 yell at people. There There's nothing totally... more gratifying than shouting at an inanimate object. Um. Yeah, and Joe also. So you should definitely come over. Oh, I get to and... do that on a regular basis. Gonna... Well, hold on, <laughs> Vanessa was just about to invite me over to her house. Don't ruin this. <laughs> um, switching topics. I did see Hamilton fighting cats. <laughs> I asked because I went and. I paid like, I, I, how much money did you pay for your tickets? Can you tell me? 
I, I don't know, like too much. I mean, not too much because it was like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But I, um, so how oh, can you, already- how can you say it's the most amazing thing you've ever seen? Like, where's the set design? Where is like the showmanship? Like, it was fine. Like, I thought it was good. I feel like the people saying it's white people trying too hard. Sorry, is this is this is this a musical on Broadway? It's a musical. It's like a piece of American history, and all the white characters are played by black people. And it's really cool. I'll definitely say it's neat and it's hip hop and it's but like all these rich white people have bought up all the tickets because it's like now the hip thing to do to like this like hip hop musical. Yeah, I mean that's of course unfortunate that there's not more access for you know people that don't have the money and that you know um, I know they're doing stuff to give away some tickets and stuff. But to your point about the merit or the you know artistic like kind of value of the show i mean you're right that like the set design is kind of minimal but i just think anything with i mean every lyric i mean it's like two hours of straight like hip-hop and other genres of music and there's no talking in between the songs and they get through this crazy plot and they stay really true to history but he just like there's no word that's wasted every song is just like this genius creation that is like really catchy but also I mean, just the, the it's just beautiful. I, I don't know. I, um, I'm just, I was just so impressed. I was blown away by it. But I mean, I understand if you don't like black people. You get to play that card. You were That's waiting right. to play that card. That's right. There were black people <laughs> at my Thanksgiving. So, oh. Vanessa, I what's going on right now in the world of you being a lawyer? Is there anything happening? Are you doing anything with urban justice? Anything going on right now? Uh, no, I'm just uh, chilling. Basically, I, uh, I'm still, I'm waiting to, uh, I don't know, some technical issues i'm trying to trying to get uh, into the bar basically okay um, don't sweat it because I, I i actually have something for you right now a little a little legal game for you you want to you want to do a little legal trivia and make sure that you you stay current because i know that you're you're still working on you know, getting like a.m. that's cool 9 30 a.m that's when you'd have to be in court usually i mean your first case would be over by 9 30 that's true all right, All right so let's do it. It's a little game I like to call Law and Disorder. This is about some of the some of the more odd laws that are on the books in the United States of America. And they're all multiple choice questions, Vanessa, okay? So don't worry too much. Okay. Which of the following is outlawed in the state of Hawaii? Billboards, cigars, or diesel engines? Gotta be either diesel engines or billboards. I feel like I saw billboards. I'm gonna go with diesel engines. Diesel engines is incorrect. Billboards. Billboards are illegal. There are a few exceptions. So maybe you saw one of the exceptions. I think there's 18 total exceptions in the state of Hawaii. Got it, okay. Question number two. Idaho is the only state to declare which of the following acts to be illegal. Joke stealing, cannibalism, dwarf tossing. We still have Vanessa on the line. Is she looking this up in a law book? Where did Vanessa go? No. There I'm she just is. Thinking if I want oh, to go wow. With, she's, uh, she's deep in the tank. one of a few states to declare it illegal. Idaho is the only, the Idaho's the only state to declare which of the following acts to be illegal. I'm going to go with dwarf tossing. Dwarf tossing 
is incorrect. That's illegal in Florida. It's cannibalism. Idaho is the only oh, state to what? expressly outlaw cannibalism. Isn't that, uh, that illegal that, see, at gonna, federal I'm, level? I'm going to argue that point because uh, cannibalism is always illegal. Correct. You can't kill. So, but Idaho is the only state to specifically have made a law about cannibalism. But hang on a second. If you actually eat someone who's already dead, you haven't actually murdered them. They were afraid. They were afraid that uh, like religious cults were going to start doing human sacrifice, like doing it as part of their rituals. So they spe specifically made it illegal. Is it cannibalism if you just eat a dead person and don't kill them yourself? I guess it is. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. All right. I hear that. Uh, here job, we go. I, I think the other 49 states need to get on board with this. Come on. Idaho. They're a trend. They're a trendsetter <laughs> in the human eating department. Uh, question three. In Maryland, it is illegal to sell which of the following items via vending machine? Coonskin caps, alligator skin boots, lambskin condoms. Uh, I mean, is lambskin condoms too obvious? I'm, I guess I'll go with alligator boots. Lambskin condoms is correct. It is illegal <laughs> to sell anything but a latex condom. In a vending machine in the state of Maryland. Question four. Which of the following is a felony in the state of Michigan? Adultery. Littering. Jaywalking. Adult. Adultery is correct. Vanessa Selps is on the board. You're one and three so far, Vanessa. It's okay. There's enough questions for you to make a comeback. Okay. In Nevada, it is illegal to use an x-ray to scan a deck of playing cards, search for buried treasure, determine a person's shoe size. Search for buried treasure. Search for buried treasure is incorrect. Shoe size. Shoe size is correct. Apparently, there's a product that came out like in the 50s where you could measure your foot with an x-ray, and Nevada <laughs> decided to ban it. In New Hampshire, when is it illegal to collect seaweed? Is it in the morning? Is it on Christmas? Or is it at night? At night. At no, night. in the morning. No, you said at night first, and I'm taking pity on you. <laughs> <laughs> at night is correct. Three questions to go. In New Mexico, it is illegal to vote if you are an idiot, a moron, an imbecile. An imbecile. Imbecile is incorrect. It's an idiot, and an idiot is technically someone who has an IQ between zero and twenty-four. Wow. And apparently that law is also illegal on the federal level. That apparently, no matter how dumb you are, if you know you're voting in an election, you are allowed to vote. Two more questions. In North Carolina, there is a five-hour legal limit on dance performances. How long you can sit at an all-you-can-eat buffet? Bingo games. Gotta be a buffet. Buffet is incorrect. Bingo games. Oh, dear. One last question, Vanessa. The state of Pennsylvania felt the need to specify that it is illegal to barter with, to use as a form of bartering, a baby, a kidney, a soul. I'm going to say a soul. A soul is incorrect. Pennsylvania had to point out that it is illegal to barter your baby. Unbelievable. <laughs> your baby. Well, we've learned two things from this quiz. 
Uh, we've learned that uh, Vanessa is two and seven on questions of state law. We've also learned that your country's even more fucked up than I thought it was. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guarantee you there's some messed up laws on the books in this country, too. I'm almost yeah, certain of it. The difference is they were all written in like 1132. Right. So we have an excuse. Vanessa Selbs, thanks very much for being with us. And uh, we will see you uh, probably PCA. Uh, well, I'll be, I'll be at Prague, but... Fantastic. Uh, we'll see you at Prague. All right, great. So let's talk about EPT Prague because the festival is getting underway in the next few days and it's pretty much a week and a bit before Joe and I actually travel to the Czech Republic for five days of live streaming of the third leg of season 12 of the European Poker Tour. We keep saying this every time. This will be the biggest EPT in history in terms of the number of events. And we're going to be saying it again at the PCA because the pra- <laughs> Prague is 97 events. And then by the time we get to the Bahamas... That's it- not true. 97 events... Dude, the Bahamas is going to be 104 events. I don't... I mean, I don't even know how you do that. 24-hour cash games as well as all of the tournaments, plus lots of other fun stuff happening. Uh, There's going to be a player party on December the 9th at the Cloud9 Bar. There is the chance to have an indoor skydive experience... There's going to be an online qualifying tournament taking place, uh, awarding people the chance to do that. And there is a charity tournament at EPT Prague as well, taking place on day 1A of the main event. That's the 10th of December. And sadly, Joe, that's the day before we arrive. I'm a big fan of the charity events that Pokestars run at EPTs. Yeah, sadly, you little min you little min crusher. You little uh, min uh, excuse char- me, final tabler. Um, yeah, that's the same as a min cash in a charity event. But crucially, we are going to miss out on this one. But we are going to be around for day two through to day six of the main event. Something we were talking about this week, by the way. You know the Christmas festival is taking place on Pokestars at the moment. So like Santa comes to the tables and stuff like that? We talked about the uh, special $5 million guaranteed Sunday Million on the 27th of December. There's so many other promotions and challenges. What we're going to be doing on EPT Live is we're going to have a daily competition linked to one of the challenges that's taking place on PokerStars. Okay. So let me give you an example. Um, yes. The first day we broadcast, okay. the 12th of December, day two of the main event. I'm picturing it right now. We're broadcasting. I'm being hilarious. The poker is great. We're shilling the fuck out of poker stars. Okay. And what we will be shilling is the fact that it's full house challenge day, where they're encouraging you to win a cash game or a cash game hand or a Zoom hand yeah. with a full house for a share of $20,000 in prizes. So we're going to have a competition on EPT Live related to making a full house on PokerStars, but it's going to be slightly different terms with a slightly different prize. But the idea is you can be aiming for two prizes, both the Christmas Festival Challenge that day and also the daily contest on EPT Live. You can be doing the same thing to potentially win two prizes. Okay, so our contest isn't going to be something separate like creating a full house and sending us a photo of it. It's also going to be happening on the client. It's basically involved booming a hand where you win with okay. a full house with three aces to win a ticket to the $5 million guaranteed Sunday Million. Oh, that's pretty sick. When is that? Do we know when that Sunday Million is? 27th. We already discussed it. You're going to be in America. Won't you won't be, be able to play. God damn it. But we have a lot of $215 tickets to give away to that Sunday Million on 
the 27th of December. So make sure you're watching EPT Live from the 12th through to the 16th of December. Lots of other fun competitions as well. Broughton's got a great picture contest lined up. Um, one thing that's happening immediately after Prague, and I know Pedro, who I met in Toronto, wants me to mention this. There is a super fan home game club that Pedro has set up. And Pedro says, can you please talk about it on the podcast? Here's my view. Yeah. If you're a genuine super fan, you know about this already and you don't need me to mention it. Oh, it's good to get some some other people involved. Uh, Uncle, but, Uncle Daddy's going to... I don't know anything about it. Otherwise, I would, I would talk about it. Well, but. here's the thing, Joe. Pedro tweets about it a lot. So make sure you just check out the hashtag EPTNotLive on Twitter. Yeah. Pedro gives information on how to join the club, what password okay. you need to sign up to it. I'm going to join it. I'll get involved. And when the tournament is taking place, which I believe is Saturday the 19th of December at 2pm Eastern Time, uh, I'm definitely going to play. And I did promise that I would provide the prizes. It's a play money game. So there's no real money prizes, but we're going to get some PokerStars swag to give away to the super fans on that day. Um, that's awesome. That's really cool. I actually, I'm going to do something next week. I want to talk about really quick. Uh, I'm going to do something where, so next week, next Tuesday night here in the UK, it doesn't matter. All the times are messed up. It's a podcast, but on Tuesday, the eighth, right. Is the first half of the shark cage finale, right? That is correct. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you guys know first, you EPT, not live super fans on that day. I am going to tweet out my phone number of either the hotel I'm staying at or I'll create one on Skype and I will have I'm going to have a live conversation with anyone who wants to call me and talk to me during the broadcast. We can have a chat on the phone and I'm going to film it, record it, I'm going to roll it into the coverage of the EBT not live at EBT live. So I'm going to take video of it. I'm kind of following. So I'm we're kind gonna, of following. We're yeah. obviously doing another EPT not live at EPT live in Prague. Correct. So I'm going to record this. So anyone who wants to call me and talk to me during the first half of the Shark Cage finale, we can do that. And that footage will end up in our video version of the show in a couple of weeks. So I'm assuming people should either follow you on Twitter or look at your Facebook page to get the details. Correct. I'm going to do both. Like right before the show starts that night, I'll be like, hey. Hashtag Shark Cage. Yeah, I'll put the hashtag in there. Sure, follow the hashtag or at Stapes or be my friend on Facebook. I need friends. And of course, before we record EPT Not Live at EPT Live, we've got another podcast to go here in London. That will be episode 29. And that podcast will contain the password for the free roll that's taking place on Sunday. It's not a Sunday, is it? When is the 17th of December? It is a Thursday, Thursday, the 17th of December, an extra free roll. And the password will be revealed in next week's edition of EPT Not Live. Well, we've talked about super fans, Joe. Let's give someone the chance to win a Step C ticket and an Everyone Loves a Chop Pot t-shirt. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. And this week we're saying hello to Daniel Waters. 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 What is your name, Daniel? Waters. 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 What is your name? Okay, we've established who you are, where are you, and what are you? I'm currently in Norwich. I am a second year university student uh, where I run the Poker Society. Norwich, is that uh, is that where Alan Partridge is from? Correct. I think so. I'm, I'm already getting questions right. Yeah. 
Alas, Alan Partridge and the County of Norfolk is not what you'll be answering questions on today. So what does running the University Poker Society actually involve, Daniel? Um, tends to be every week organising univer- uh, organizing tournaments, um, finding people to play, just having a bit of fun, really. You know, Daniel, I gave a, a talk at the London School of Economics uh, that was put on by their poker society, and I'm going to be talking about that later in the show. Great, can't wait to hear about it. What are you studying in school? Um, environmental geography and climate change. Environmental geography and climate change. So you're going to save the world. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. What's I your plan? admire your ambition. What's your plan to save the world? Tell me right now. Give it to me in, in four words or less. <laughs> um, I'm going to not count. Fracking is the um, way forward. What is it? Fracking is the way forward? Yeah. Fracking is the way. That was five words. Okay, Sorry. Okay, not good enough. We're going to die. Do you Sorry. know what you should have done? You should have done fracking's the way forward. The apostrophe S could have saved you yeah. a word there. Right. Uh, it's too well. Now, Daniel, you have chosen as your specialist subject the 1960s movie, The Great Escape. That's correct. Now, you claim, Daniel, that you grew up with this movie, that you've seen it countless times. So we are assuming that you're an expert. Joe Stapleton, did you take my advice? Did you rewatch the film? James Hardigan, the night before I had to get on my flight, I had my girlfriend over for classic movie Sunday, but we did it on Monday instead. And we watched several episodes of 30 Rock instead of The Great Escape because it was very late by the time she came over and the movie's three hours long. So in less than four words, no, I did not. Well, you are probably going to struggle because these questions aren't easy. I did these myself and... I'm not boasting. No, actually, I am boasting. It's fucking feast or famine with James Hardigan. Either he knows about the subject and there's like, you need like a fucking microscope to answer them. Correct. Or he knows nothing and the questions get farmed out to absolute re <laughs> To be fair, my dad does sterling work. It's other people who will go unmentioned. Zinc Minotaur! It's just your, look, it's just, it's my, I'm just going to beat on you guys. It's not, the, the questions have been fine. Okay. I'm sour grapes. So here's the thing. 80 to 90% of these questions I did without the internet. I did, however, then use the internet to fact check and make sure that I remembered the movie correctly. Daniel. Yes. Having heard all this, are, are you at all intimidated by by the, the apparent severity of these questions or are you down for it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a little worried that I uh, did claim to be so good at this, but um, when's well, the, let's see what happens. When's the last time you watched the movie? Uh, last night. You... <laughs> I'm fucked. That's why I told you to watch it. It's It's a a level playing field. James, it's a three-hour commitment. Like, I don't even put three hours... I can't remember the last thing I put three hours worth of work into. It is, yeah. It's a pretty long film. But here we go. It's a good one. The time flies by. It It is in my top ten of all time. Absolutely. So hopefully you stand a fighting chance as we get the game underway. Superfan versus Stakes. So the first round, Daniel, is name and rank. Now you get to choose odd or even. Oh, Christ. Uh, Start with odd. Okay, name and rank of the camp commandant. God, German rank or in English? It's an English rank. (laughs) I know, uh, hang on. Uh, Von Luger. That's the name. That's That's a half half. half. Um... Commander, presumably. Joe? Colonel. Correct. Yeah! Woo! That's my only point I'm going to get, Daniel. Thanks, buddy. 
Half Commander's a, Navy, oh my god. Half a point Navy. each. Uh, so, Joe, that means your question is the even question. The name and rank of the senior British officer in the camp. Okay, this he's the skinny guy, looks kind of like Hardigan. Um, uh, 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 God damn it. I don't know. I don't fucking know. And that means, Daniel, you can steal. He was the SBO. That means senior British officer, yes. What was his rank and name? Uh, his name was... Oh, his name was Ramsey. For half a point, what was his rank? Oh my god, I don't know. He was Group Captain Ramsey. Group Captain? That's not even a thing. Yeah, group okay, Captain? It sounds okay. like... It sounds like a... Like a assignment at this kid's university. <laughs> You're Group Captain. For essay, right, okay. So currently it's one point to the superfan, half a point to Joe Stapleton. The next round is skills and responsibilities. Would you like to go odd or even on this one, Daniel? Daniel? Daniel! Something's happened to Daniel! Daniel, come back to us! Hello? Oh Dan my god, Daniel are you alright? No. He said no. No. Yeah, I can... Kind of here, yeah. I'm gonna move around a bit. Yeah, move around a little bit. Sometimes if you shake Skype, it helps. Yeah. So, Daniel, the, the round is called Skills and Responsibilities, and I okay. need to know whether you want to go with the odd or the even question. No, even this time. Okay, this is quick fire. No stealing involved here. So, basically, Danny and Willie were the Tunnel Kings. Obviously. But what were the skills or responsibilities of the following characters in the movie? Okay. Cavendish. Surveyor. Correct. Henley. Scrounger. Correct. Sedgwick. Uh, air guy. He was building things. I'll accept it. Manufacturer. Yeah. Daniel went three for three. I I would have uh, maybe gotten some of those. If I watched the movie last freaking night. Okay, go ahead. Let's do this. Let's get it over with. It's your choice not to watch it. Joe! My choice not to watch it. What were the skills? It's not like it was on every screen in the airplane that I flew. If it's one of your 10 favorite movies, you should own it on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital. I do own it, but it's in a storage space in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> what were the skills slash responsibilities of the following? Blythe. Blythe was a forger. Correct. Ashley Pitt. Ashley Pitt. Um, uh, it was clothing. Incorrect. Disposal. You were thinking of the trousers with the pockets, right? Yeah. And McDonald. McDonald was uh, distractions, diversions. I'm going to give you half a point for that. He was intelligence. Yay! <laughs> Four yeah. points to Daniel, two points to Joe, and now we come to what I like to call the numbers game. I always get my points half at a time. Like, I never <laughs> get, like, a clean sweep. It's always like, all right, we'll throw you that bone. The numbers game, Daniel. Are we going odd or even? Even. Okay, we're going even. Correct, even was the first answer. So, how many men were meant to escape according to Roger Bartlett's plan? 250. Correct. How many men actually managed to escape from the camp before the tunnel was discovered? 76. Correct! Shit. Two nice. points. Now, I have to say, if I had watched the movie last night, I would have defo got those. But I didn't, so I wouldn't have. Joe, how many men made it to freedom? In the film. Ah, this oh. is Joe's question. No, okay. no go ahead, Daniel. It's <laughs> kidding, bro. Um, In the film, yes, how many men made it to freedom? 26. Incorrect. You can steal, Daniel, for a point. 
In the film three. Correct. And Joe, for a bonus point, name one of the actors playing one of the escaping characters. Charles Bronson. Correct. It's now I seven. Should, I should have known better than to do math. That's, you know, I came up with 26. Because Daniel said 76 made it out. And, and the 50, film's dedicated to the 50. Sure, but of course, many of them, like James Garner and Steve McQueen, get returned to the camp. Right. right. Remember, it ends with McQueen going into the cooler. With the it was really kind of a not very good effort, if you think about it. Uh, Daniel, you have seven points. Joe has two points. It's looking good for that Step C ticket and that Everyone Loves a Chop Pot t-shirt. <sighs> Uh, so now we come to some trivia questions, and once again, I'm going to ask you, would you like to go odd or even? Uh, odd this time. You know, I would just like to blame this. My girlfriend said I'll be over in a few at like 7.15. 9.30 rolls around. That's when she rocks up too late to start a three-hour movie. I'm so sorry. basically, the girlfriend's being thrown under the bus. Correct. If she had only taken said bus, she would have been to my house probably on time. Very good. Okay, uh, seven plays three points, sorry. So, uh, Daniel, your question. Which tunnel is discovered by Werner when he spills some coffee? Tom. Correct. Joe, your question. How many feet short of the trees is Harry? Uh, 30. Incorrect. Daniel, you can steal. 20 feet. It's 20 feet oh, short. Oh, God damn it! Final round. Odd or even, Daniel? Even. Not that it really matters. Which actor mut utters the words thank you after being wished good luck? Uh, who, who, for, sorry, who says thank you? Who says, um, Which actor luck? says the words uh, thank it you? It was Mac played by James Donald. No, no, it's not James Donald. Too late. I know who it was. You can steal. You can steal, Joe. Uh, that one is the guy with the funny eye, uh, Richard Attenborough. No, it was his colleague. Ah, shit. Gordon Jackson. Was Gordon Jackson Cowley from The Professionals. Uh, so it's still uh, nine points place three. Joe, try and get an extra point here. Yeah. What song is Cavendish singing when he crashes through the bunk bed? He is singing... Um... When he crashes through the bunk bed, he's singing the song uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Incorrect, but you're not a million miles away. Mm. So close. It's uh, 12 Days of Christmas. It was. Meaning the final score is 10-3 to Daniel. I'm just intrigued, Daniel, whether you would have got the tiebreaker spot on. The tiebreaker was the running time of The Great Escape to the nearest minute. Two hours 45, I guess. I'm going to take the over on that. It's three hours and four minutes. Okay, uh, it is it is over two hours and 45 minutes, but not by much. It's 172 minutes. What is that in human time? Uh, that is... I don't count things by minutes. What's that, two hours 52? 252, oh. Look, I was hoping that I could maybe get, like, one point for, like, um, for, like, the essay portion. Now, I know that if I can really prove that I'm a big Great Escape fan... Because I want to tell this story of years ago when Great Escape was first released on DVD. I was in college, right? Not unlike young Daniel Watters here. And uh, I did not have a car or much money. And The Great Escape was released on DVD. And it was, it was only being sold at a Borders Books miles and miles away. And I bought a train ticket to go to, go to Chestnut Hill in Boston. It took me... Over an hour and a half to get there, where I paid thirty dollars 
for The Great Escape on DVD, which you can now find many, many places <laughs> for three and or four dollars. And I dragged my girlfriend at the time, who had no interest in seeing The Great Escape, but instead of watching the film with me, accompanied back to my dorm room and said she was tired and then fucked the hockey team. So I was just hoping that after hearing this story, James, you could maybe give me one. I'll give you half a point for that. A half a point, a yes. Half a point. I'll take it. That means the final score is 10 points to Daniel, three and a half points to Joe. And that means, Daniel, you have crushed this edition of Superfan vs. Stapes. We are going to give you a Step C ticket worth 27 euros, and we're going to ship you an Everyone Loves a Chop Pot t-shirt. Wicked. Thanks, guys. Nice job, Daniel. Daniel, I look forward to hearing more of your thoughts on fracking in fewer than five words. Uh, I'm going to pass on that one. (laughs) Thank you for taking part in the game, Daniel. That was still six words. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Bye. I'm still trying to come up with something fun to do for Superfan versus Stapes for the next EPT Not Live at EPT Live. I wanted to do some video games on Twitch. Unfortunately, I'm away from my PlayStation for the next 20 days. I just didn't feel like hauling it with me to hotels. It's bulky. Hotels all over Europe and no. places where, like, it just people throwing it around, you throw your luggage around and stuff. I'd be worried about it the whole time. So that's not going to work, I don't think, unless we figure out another way. However, we are going to get together, you, me, and Broughton. We're going to have a chat and we're going to try and come up with some ideas and some funky stuff we can do because it's a really weird challenge. We want to do stuff that works in vision, but I have to remember that it's also going to get released as an audio podcast. So you don't want to make it too visual. Correct. Exactly. So what I'll do, you know, have to do is maybe we cut down whatever the visual stuff is and make it a little shorter on the audio version. However, if there are any super fans who are going to be at Prague, at Prague, in Prague, at EPT Prague. Yeah, either works. In Prague, the city. Uh, holler at your boy. Holler at Joe Stapleton. Holler at us. Use the hashtag EPT not live because maybe we can do something live and film it and put you out on the uh, on the old video podcast. Would be awesome. So if you're around, I'm willing to take uh, any suggestions if you're around in Prague and want to play against me and something. There's going to be like Christmas activities and stuff around. We'll come up with something fun to do. Here's what I was thinking maybe. Just double checking the calendar again. Monday the 14th of December, which is day four of the main event. That's probably when we're going to be shooting slash recording. So it's got to be before that. So Monday the 14th of December is when this is going to be taking place at the Hilton in Prague before the start of play on day four of the EPT main. Perfect. I was thinking if anyone who's in Prague wants to go up against me in Christmas movie trivia. Okay. I love Christmas movies, even if they're bad ones. Like I like to go see like, you know, Basically, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I like to go see whatever Christmas movies are out because it's like gets me excited for the holidays. Even if they're not that good, I like that as a setting. So if you want to play against me in Christmas movie trivia, get in touch and we'll do that at EBT Prague. We've got a Christmas party to look forward to this week. We do. Yeah, guys, that's it. That's all the time we got for this week. But next week, we are going to talk about the Poker Stars Christmas party. What about the video from the uh, London School of Economics? Next time. We'll get to that next okay. week because I don't have, there's not that much other than the Christmas party next week. We'll, we'll get to the London School of Economics next week. Great. Uh, Shirt Cage will be one half over. The finale will be one half done. The first half of the final will have aired. Remember, if you're in the UK and Ireland, Channel 4 Tuesday nights, anywhere else in the world, youtube.com slash pokerstars. And that's it. That's it for this week, guys. I am Joe Stapleton. For James Hardigan, smell you later. <laughs> <laughs>